good morning, everyone. Let's stand together. Let's worship our Lord. Let's put our hands together. Let's give him our best today. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday break, but let's just jump in, bring the energy, bring our offering to the Lord. Come on. We worship the God. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors and he parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross. He rose up from that grave. My God still running so away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is shining in this place, we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We give it all to you. I'll sing this part as a testimony. We were the beggars.
about you, and maybe this speaks to my own failing, but whenever I get a lot of time off from work or I'm eating a ton of dessert the entire week and not doing hardly anything but being in my pajamas, my uh, level of intimacy with the Lord sometimes suffers. I just, I don't read as much as I would normally. I don't pray as much. And that sounds terrible, but I'm being vulnerable. And I realized coming into today, um, I needed to take a moment uh, to just recalibrate. And I had to say, Lord, I want to be close to you. I've been distant. I'm sorry. I want to get closer. I want to re-engage. I want to wake my mind up from the slumber of the week. And I want to invite you to do the same right now. Don't let your mind slumber. Let's focus it on the Lord. Let's come back strong. New year, new me. Just kidding. Uh, but in all seriousness, let's re-engage with the Lord at a deeper level today. And I just want us to sing this simple chorus. It's been in my head uh, since yesterday. And it's just kind of what brought me back to where I needed to be. I love have a moment with the Lord.
This is the last day of a year. Can you believe that? Tonight, my family will gather after dinner and we'll ask each other the questions, what are you thankful for that happened this year? What do you remember? Where did you see God show up? And for some of you that are thinking about 2023 in those terms, there are many things that you have to be thankful for that are the good things. God, this is what you, you did for me that seemed like it was for my benefit. There are others of you who look back on this year with tremendous grief, that there were hardships that you experienced this year. And um, Esther DeWall is a, an author. That she says this about the practice of gratitude. It has the power to turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Gratitude, the ability to, to say, thank you, God, for that thing. It makes sense of our past, brings peace for today and creates a vision for tomorrow. It turns problems into a, a gift, failures into successes, the unexpected into perfect timing and mistakes into important events. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today and creates a vision for tomorrow. You know what I mean by that? What she's saying is that when you look around and you say, there are multiple ways to look at your life. But when you say thanks for it, it's saying that even if it was hard, it's looking at it through the lens that, that God is working. He's doing something and you don't know the end of it yet. So the band is going to sing and lead us again into, into the words day and night, night and day, let, let incense rise. And your life this year might have felt like you were being pressed. But if you can take a moment and express gratitude for that thing, maybe just a piece of that thing, then it transforms it into a blessing from the Lord. And it kind of takes the pressure off of your shoulders with it because it puts it back in his court and says, Lord, this, you clearly were doing something, but I don't see it yet. Church, would you let your faith just rise up as you sing these words day and night, night and day. Let the work that you're doing in my life, just let it, let it, let it be a sweet aroma to you, Jesus. Lift your voices, church. Sing this again.
friends, did you just give praise to the Lord this morning? You can even clap your hands. He's been so faithful. He's been so good to you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, happy new year to you, everybody. My name is Colin. If we've not had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. It's, if it's your first time with us, oh, you picked a great Sunday to, to celebrate and to worship with us. Would you stop by Connect Central on your way out? We have a gift for you. We'd love to meet you. Uh, just a, re- a reminder as well, if you are considering year-end giving, year-end contributions, this is your last day to, to contribute and extend generosity uh, to new life. We are in the city for the sake of the city, and we are passionate about reaching people for Jesus and caring for the needs on our east side of the city. Um, and your generosity doesn't just go to keep the lights on around here, it goes to minister to the needs of our communities. Thank you for your, your extreme generosity this year has been seen and appreciated by so many. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, a reminder to you, we are we will be at Grand Peak Academy here through the end of January. So we're countdown the amount of Sundays that we will be here. We will be moving locations to Rocky Mountain Classical Academy, which is at Mark Scheffel and Barnes. Our first Sunday will, there will be February 4th. And so... On February 4th, don't drive here, drive to RMCA, and we'll be, we'll be partying and worshiping together like we always do at 10 o'clock on Sundays. That's going to be a, a fun transition for us coming up. Uh, let's see, that's all I have for you before we open the word and hear from Pastor Rory this morning. So before we do that, would you turn to one another and greet everybody, say Happy New Year, and give some hugs. Good morning, New Life East. If you are able, I'm going to ask that you would remain standing this morning um, or stand back up now that you've sat down. Um, One of the things that we do around here is we declare our faith by um, reciting the Nicene Creed. And we used to do this like every Sunday right before the teach, and we just haven't done it in a while. So I told the production team, I think we should uh, remind ourselves why we believe what we believe and all that good stuff. Sound good? Okay. Say with me this morning, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, 
He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And if you believe that this morning, say it with me. Amen. You can be seated. I was going to pray, but if you want to sit down first, that's fine. This guy. All right, stand back up. We're going to do it again. And we're, I'm just kidding. All right, before we open up the scriptures, let's pray this morning. God, would you still our hearts? Would you calm our minds? Would you fill us with both a sense of gratitude and a sense of honesty about what the year has been for us? Would you remind us it's okay to acknowledge the pain and yet it is also okay to rejoice just because you are God? And as we open up the scriptures this morning, God, we ask that you would do what you always do, that you would find a way to break into the midst of our lives and speak to us, that you would find a way through your Holy Spirit to say things to us that meet us right in the moment. God, I ask that you would speak on my behalf, that you would speak the truth into the ears of our people that they need to hear. Come, Holy Spirit, and meet with us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you. We have said it a million times this week, but this is like the stretch of time in the year where time doesn't exist anymore. It like stopped on Christmas Eve at like roughly 8 o'clock, and it's just not moved since. And your kids have recognized that as well because they're just wired 24-7. They don't go to school which teachers are happy about, but the rest of us are, uh, well, we, we love our kids. Um, I often find myself thinking about why in my life I somehow stumbled into Christianity, became a Christian, and have, like, stayed a Christian. We've kept going with the thing. I, when I say that, I often wonder, like, why as a 16-year-old kid I didn't find myself enthralled with some other worldview, why I didn't find myself captivated by some other story that another religion of the world was telling. And I'm certainly not an apologist, so I'm not like an expert in all the reasons that, you know, Christianity is probably really the truest. I think Christianity does a couple of things that other religions don't. The big one for me is that it speaks to our reality in a way that others don't. Jesus is as grounded as they come, but I often think that the big difference about our faith is about the kind of God that we're talking about. Like when we take a moment to describe who the God of the scriptures is and what he's like, he's fascinating, he's loving, he's caring, he's kind, he's all these things. 
And I would say that that's probably the thing that keeps me embedded with what Christianity itself is. But I think there's something more to it. There's a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, just a few verses that I want to start with this morning. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in this moment, Moses, Moses, who has helped God's people come out of slavery in Egypt, he's seen the work that God has done in their lives. He's seen the way that God's people have like failed miserably and how God has come right back behind them, scooped them up, carried them, and continued them. And they find themselves ready to enter into the promised land. Moses finds out that he himself will not be entering it. But he's taking a moment to address God's people. And there's these couple verses that I ran across that I think speak to what I'm getting at here. Moses says this. He says, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. There's no doubt that one of the things that differentiates Christianity is there's like a moral standard. There's like a framework of how to live your life. And Moses says, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. It's also true that Christianity holds this like recognition that because we know God, God has given us the ability to recognize things about the world in which we live. He says all these decrees and they'll see them and they'll say, surely this nation is great and wise and an understanding people. But this is the verse that I find so fascinating. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way our, the Lord our God is near us whenever we, what's that word right there? Pray to him. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Again, this is Moses talking, one of the great like leader figures in all of the scriptures, certainly smart, certainly capable. And as he is addressing God's people in this moment, I find it fascinating that the way that he recognizes why this God is different than all the other gods that the Israelites could have access to, he says, well, the fascinating thing about this God is that this God is near to you and he's specifically near to you when you what? When you pray to him. That for some reason, the God of the scriptures, what's fascinating about him, what is worth giving your life completely over to him, is that he's accessible to you. He's not hiding. He's not made of a tangible material that's like hidden in a back room that we have to find our way and sneak our way into. No, he's like accessible to God's people and he's specifically accessible to them through prayer. What I also think is interesting is that at the end of a year, which are we allowed on December, whatever day it is, 31st to say happy new year. Is it a new year yet? I can say it. Okay. Happy New Year. I didn't know. I thought it was like a faux pas. I thought you didn't say it because it's not technically a new year and we wouldn't want to, you know, take too far of a step. We haven't got there yet. What I know happens around this time, especially with Christian people, is we do this thing where we say, you know what, in the new year, we set all these resolutions for ourselves. But one of the things that often like good-hearted people do is we say, man, I want to be closer to God in the new year. I want to be closer to him. And what we tend to do is like come up with all these clever ways that we're going to get closer to God, right? So we like, we find our favorite like Christian influencer on the internet and we download their Bible reading plan because that is for some reason going to help us read the Bible better. And you say, I'm going to read, you know, the way I'm going to get closer to God, I'm going to read my whole Bible in a year. And then what happens is you get to like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you just bail. You're like, this is weird. It's like Game of Thrones, but like not as entertaining. 
Never mind. Um, I never watched that show. I just know it's a cultural reference. Anywho. Or you say to yourself, like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to become more involved in church. So I'm going to, like, give more. I'm going to serve more. And all those things are great. Those things certainly help out around here. So we create this, like, I'm going to do more things at church on Sunday. And that's going to, like, help me get close to God. What I think is like so interesting though about the way our God is presented in the scriptures and the way Christianity has been talked about for thousands of years is like the one thing that completely differentiates it and the one thing if you were like, man, I really wanna get close to God this year, there's just like one really easy pathway and it's to pray. Like that's it, we could be done, I could be like pray more and then we just get out of here. But that means you'd have to pick your kids up early and I know you don't wanna do that. But prayer is like, and I'm learning this, the longer I follow Jesus, I'm recognizing like the amount of time that I spend studying theology in the scriptures is not what makes me more like Jesus. The amount of money that I give away doesn't make me more like Jesus. Honestly, the amount of time that I serve and do things that require sacrifice of me, they don't make me more like Jesus. They certainly help. But like the thing that has been the most forming in my life, and it is not a thing I'm great at, it's a thing I'm figuring out, is prayer. And so I'm just going to be upfront with you. I think you can figure out where this is going. The thing that I'm going to call us into today, the thing that I'm going to challenge us to consider is just how prayer fits into our lives as followers of Jesus and how actually I would think for all of us, it's actually calling more out of us this next year. It's calling us into more, into a deeper space for it. So what a couple of things, that I, just a few thoughts I want to share about prayer today as I recognize them. And the first is this, is that when I think about prayer and as I look at it in the Bible is I think prayer is the most vital requirement for a sustainable Christian existence. And I have used every one of those words on purpose. I think it is the most vital requirement for a sustainable Christian existence. I want to read a passage to you that many of you are familiar with Luke chapter 11, starting in verse one, it says one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. What place? We don't know, but it was certain. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what? Just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has sinned against us and lead us not into temptation. And Luke's sort of recollection of this moment in Jesus's life. He doesn't give this full thought out. He gives a sort of abbreviated version of what we know as the Lord's prayer. And almost every message, every sermon I've ever heard on prayer starts in one of these places where it's like, well, this is important because Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we sort of make it like they came to him and they said, we wanna know how to do this. And so he taught them how to do it. Have you ever read these texts and pondered the question of why they asked him? Like, why did they ask Jesus how to pray? They weren't, we can read the Bible in a funny way. They weren't oblivious to faith. They weren't oblivious to religion. I'm gonna clue you in. They weren't oblivious to what prayer was. And the way that the Jewish faith is lined out, they had a framework for how to do this. So why are they coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, could you please teach us how to do this thing? that we already know how to do. It's worth wondering. I would propose to you that 
they come to Jesus at a very interesting time in his ministry. When they come to Jesus and ask this question, it's set later in Luke's gospel than it is in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, it happens pretty early on where he teaches this. In Luke's, it happens after a lot of things have occurred. Jesus has already um, gone into the wilderness with Satan, the great like cosmologically evil being. He's gone into the wilderness with him and has come out unscathed. So Jesus already has this on his resume. He's healed people. He's walked up to people, touched their limbs, and they've become healthy. He's healed people by just telling someone, hey, I know this person is sick. Go home. They're going to be in good shape. He stepped into meals with sinners, and what was crazy about it is he walked out and he hadn't sinned. So he stepped into a place with people who were morally corrupt or cast out by society, and he didn't become like them. Somehow they like rose to his character in those moments. He's even, he's even looked at some of his closest followers and says, hey, you know what you're gonna do with the people who hate you the most? You're gonna love them. He's done all of this at this moment. And his disciples at this particular time come to him and say, hey, could you now teach us how to do this? I would propose to you that what has happened for the disciples is not that they're looking at Jesus and going, hey, you have a really interesting flow to your prayer life. Can you teach us how to do that? The disciples are going to Jesus and asking him to teach them how to pray because they've recognized that whatever happens to Jesus when he prays, his life looks completely different because of it. His life is filled with power because of those moments where he retreats to a certain place and pray. The great Catholic theologian, Ronald Rawlheiser, he says it this, says it this way. It's a long quote, bear with me. He says, they sensed that what Jesus drew from the depth of his prayer life was not, first of all, his powers to do miracles or to silence his enemies with some kind of superior intelligence. So Jesus doesn't go away to pray and then come back full of power and like unleash it on the people he dislikes. It says, he says, what impressed them and what they wanted to for their own souls was his depth and graciousness of soul. The power they admired and wanted was Jesus's power to love and forgive his enemies rather than embarrass embarrass and crush them. What they wanted was Jesus's power to transform a room, not by some miraculous deed, but by a disarming innocence and vulnerability that like a baby's presence has everyone guarding his or her behavior and language. What they wanted was his power to renounce life and self-sacrifice even while retaining the enviable capacity to enjoy the pleasures of life without guilt. What they wanted was Jesus's depth and graciousness of soul. And they recognized that this power did not come from within himself, but from a source outside of him. They saw that he connected to a deep source through prayer, through constantly lifting to God what was on his mind and in his heart. So Jesus' disciples come to Jesus and ask him to teach them how to pray because what they recognize about Jesus is that they too want a life that looks like his. Which raises the question of do we want the same thing? Because if we do, if we want the kind of life that empowers us to love our enemies, well, then we should probably do what Jesus did, which is pray, which is seek the face of God. If we want the ability to love our spouse in the committed way that we have promised to love our spouse, 
If we want the ability to care for the poor, the broken and the marginalized around us, if we want the ability to live in a way that we pour out our lives constantly, can I tell you, it's not through like more discipline in your life. It's not like through fighting to be a better person. It's not you searching how to be a better you. It's prayer. Prayer is like the backbone of Christian existence, which makes sense because Christianity, you have all heard this. Christianity is not religion, it's what? It's a relationship. How do you live in the midst of a relationship with someone you never talk to or listen to? It gets quite challenging. Have you ever tried to live with someone and never speak to them? If I tried that with my wife for four minutes, it would get weird. She'd be like, why aren't you looking at me? Why aren't you talking to me? What did I do? Actually, she wouldn't say this. She'd be like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) The backbone of Christian faith is prayer because the backbone of it is a conversational give and take relationship with the God of the universe. Prayer is critical for you to have a Christian life. This isn't my way of saying if you don't pray, you're not a Christian, but it must be awkward It must be awkward to walk into a large room filled with other people who call themselves Christian and sing songs about a guy that you've never talked to. To sing songs about a God who is loving and caring, but you've never heard him say those things to you. Prayer is like the backbone, the fundamental thing, the framework of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The other things I recognize about prayer though in the scriptures is that prayer is not just about like us making sure we live and survive as Christians. The other thing that I recognize about prayer is that prayer is ultimately us inviting God's spirit to touch our spirits. So what it's doing, it's asking God if his spirit could touch our spirits, which the, maybe the simpler way to say this is that prayer has a contemplative component to it. Prayer has a contemplative component to it. Prayer is not you like getting out your list of things that you're going to rummage through and ask God if he would like, you know, fix your car without taking it to the mechanic or whatever. Prayer is, prayer is like, prayer is Psalm 4610, right? You guys know this, be still and know that I am God. There's something about the life of prayer that requires you to sit still and to know that God is with you. So prayer is contemplative in that it causes your body to settle in the midst of the restless world that we live in. It requires you to stop moving. And in many cases, friends, it requires you to stop talking. It requires you to just be. And somewhere in the midst of that being, what happens is that your eyes are opened to what God is doing in you, through you, and all around you. Something about the way we see comes into play in prayer. I think about the way that Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he's given a whole treaty here, but he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he says, and even if our gospel is veiled or it's hidden or it's hard to see, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And then he says this, which I think is interesting. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So something in the world in which we live causes us at times to be unable to see clearly what it is that God is doing in and through and around us. But then he says this again in the book of Ephesians. He says, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then he says, I pray that the what? The eyes of your heart may be enlightened, they may be opened, they may see, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Something about prayer causes us to still ourselves, to be in the moment, to be present. And when we are doing that with God with us, what begins to happen is we begin to see God so clearly. And I know that all sounds weird. And it's weird because there's no metric of success for it. How do we know that it's working? One more quote from uh, Rawlheiser. He says this. He says, you must try to pray so that in your prayer, you open yourself in such a way that sometimes, perhaps not today, but sometime you are able to hear God say to you, three words, I love you. These words addressed to you by God are the most important words you will ever hear because before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. This is all to say that what happens for us in prayer, when God's spirit touches our spirit, it requires very little effort from you. It is you stilling yourself before the God of the universe so that he can break into your world and cause you to see him for who he truly is. And what happens when we see him for who he truly is, he can only tell us one thing about us. And it's what? I love you. But prayer is a bit of an elusive thing, isn't it? Because we never quite know if it's working. We never quite know if it's like changing us. Am I becoming more like Jesus by doing this weird sitting in silence thing, letting God talk to me? Is it working? How do I know? I'm gonna give you a really simple principle to start like tightening up prayer in your life. Um, And it's a principle that many of you know. It's a principle that actually some of you in your careers, you teach to people. And it is that quantity is better than quality. One of the things that I hear from people all the time is, man, my prayer life is just so hard because I just, I don't know how to start praying to God. Do I just start talking to him? Do I, do I talk like I'm writing him a letter? Dear God, do I, what do I say? I just don't know what to do. And what you hear from people is the anxiety of if I can't quite get it perfect, I just don't know what to say. So I just won't say anything. Have you ever heard the story about the third grade art class and the clay pots? Have any of you ever heard this? Okay, I'm gonna, let me teach you something today. So third grade art class, they get into their class first day of the semester and the teacher looks at them and says, hey, over the next three months, I'm gonna divide this class into two different groups. So let's just for illustrative persons, we're gonna, for purposes, we're gonna say this side, you're group A in the art class. Sound good? What side, what group are you? Fantastic. And this side, you're group B. Man, look, you guys would have passed third grade. And, and what the teacher says is group A, For the next three months, you have one assignment and I need you to make three clay pots. That's it. 
I need you to make three clay pots. Super simple, three clay pots. You've got three months to do it. Sound good? Sound good. She comes over to group B and she says, group B, you too have one assignment for the year. You need to make a thousand clay pots over the next three months. And then, guys, it's, it's not real. This isn't real. Group B's, they're struggling a little bit. You guys have to make a thousand clay pots over the next three months. That's all you've got to do, a thousand clay pots. Do you think you can do it? <laughs> no. No. Ye of little faith. So the teacher hands out this assignment. Three months goes by, the kids in both groups, they're working really hard to get it happen. To make a thousand clay pots in three months, you've got to like churn them out, man. You've got to go. You're not even really thinking about it anymore. You're just doing it. They get to the end of the semester and the teacher brings all the clay pots out. They don't know whose or whose. They're marked on the bottoms, but the kids can't see them. And she organizes the 10 best clay pots. How many of group A's clay pots do you think were in the 10 best clay pots? Not a single one. They lined all of them up. You know where those three pots ended up? Somewhere at the bottom. Because you know what happens when all you're thinking about is quality? Is you get in your own way. You get in your own head. Every detail of it needs to be perfect. You know what happens when you just start churning out clay pots? By about the 200th clay pot, you figured it out. You've got a whole system mapped out. You've got a way that we, like, we approach this. We know how to get into this. We know how to make these pots. And before you know it, every clay pot after that looks the same, and they all look great. The same is true about prayer. There are some of you who have, you gave your life to Jesus. You worship the God of the universe. You never talk to him. And it's because you're afraid that you might approach him in the wrong way. That you might approach him in a way that's just not quite polished enough. It's not cleaned up enough. But you know this because you became a Christian at one point. You came to Jesus and your life wasn't cleaned up enough. You came to Jesus and your life wasn't perfectly polished. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went, He does the same thing when we talk to him. Colin and I are like decently good friends. Yes. <laughs> Colin and I are really good friends. If I keep increasing it, he'll get happier. He's like a golden retriever. Um, <laughs> Colin and I are really good friends. Never once in my life have I walked up to Colin to have a conversation and spent 10 minutes beforehand trying to figure out what I was going to say to him. We just talk. The same is true of my wife. The same is true of anyone in our lives that we have close relationships with. We just talk and we just listen and we just engage. Can I tell you like the only thing you need to do with your prayer life? Just start. Just start finding space to sit with God. Just start finding space to listen to his voice. Just start finding space to to sit and say nothing. The best friends in the world are the ones you don't even have to talk to. So prayer, it's the backbone of our existence and inherently it's contemplative. But the other part of prayer that is true is that prayer is also always calling us to look outward, which is to say this, that prayer is, is always us calling on God to intervene in our world. 
It's always us looking at God and saying, God, we see the world in which we exist in and it is not perfect and it is not right. There are things that go on in this world that are not, okay, God, would you step into it and would you partner with us to help make things different? We see this in the scriptures. There's a moment in the life of Abraham where he, he realizes that the city of Sodom is gonna be torched to the ground by God. And he goes before God and he says, God, if you find like 10 righteous people, are you willing to like keep it up? And he's like, sure, man, 10 people, I'll be willing to do it. They, God's basically like, dude, if you can find it, whatever, I'm, I'm here. I'll, I'm, I'm not, I won't torch the thing to the ground. If you can find the righteous people, I'm, I'm here for it. We know how the story ends, but the point is God looks at, Abraham looks at God and says, God, I see something going on that's not right, but I think it could be different. Would you please help make it different? I think about moments all throughout the scriptures where people go before God and God steps in and intervenes through space and time and touches their lives in a meaningful way. In a meaningful way. Prayer is not just about you getting in the cul-de-sac of your own life. It's always about you releasing yourself to the world. Prayer is meant to be sacrificial in that way. It's us looking at the world around us, seeing all the injustices, all the wrongs, all the things that we wish were different and crying out to God and saying, God, would you please change this? I think about a few years ago, there was a, um, a girl I, I grew up going to high school with and she had a younger brother and his name was Garrett. And Garrett and I would spend time together when he was like a middle school and I was a high schooler. We would, we would hang out, we'd do all sorts of stuff. And I stopped talking to Garrett, time went by and I found, I got a call from his mom that Garrett had like ran away from home. He had like left the city, he had left the state like walked away from faith. He had like, he basically, every part of his life that existed, he just pushed it away and ran. Some of you know what that feeling is like of having a kid look at you and say, I want nothing to do with what this is anymore and just bailing on it. And his mom called me and told me about it. And I just said, what, I was like, what can I, what can I do? What can, how can I help? She was like, can you just pray that Garrett would come back home? And I was like, that seems like not enough, all things considered. I was like, I'll drive to where he is if you want me to do that. She was like, can you just pray for him? And so I remember um, I had this summer where we were, an initiative was going on at the church that I was at where we were asking everyone in the room to just pray, pick one person in, the, in their world and pray for that one person, just continually keep interceding for them. And so I chose Garrett. And I kept praying. I just kept praying. I didn't even know what to pray. I was like, God, I don't even know what's going on with him. He, doesn't, he won't answer his phone. I don't know what's going on, but can you, God, would you just, would you just do something in him? Would you just do something? Would you just remind him that you're real, that you're, that he has a family who loves him, all this stuff. We just kept praying for him. My wife and I kept doing it. And I remember eight months after this thing was over, you know, nothing. I was waiting for the moment where I got a phone call, like after I was praying that like Garrett's home and that didn't happen. But eight months later, it did. Eight months later, Garrett showed back up at their home and they celebrated his birthday together and they went on vacations together. It was beautiful. And certainly everything in that story has not polished itself out. But it was that moment, I had this moment. I know that God answers prayers, but it's quite different when you start praying for it and then God does something. It's quite different when you start praying for the family member, the neighbor, when you start praying about your finances or your marriage, when you start praying about your kids and you start praying very specifically and all of a sudden those things start to happen. The skeptic in all of us where we can just write it off as coincidence, it all of a sudden starts to fade away. Prayer for us is not just contemplative. It is the backbone of what we do, but it's also meant to open us up 
to the world around us, to see the spaces that we live in, to see the people that are in our lives, to see the situations that are unfolding, and to watch God do something spectacular with them. So with all that said, as we began to, you know, we started thinking about as a pastoral team, all the things that are going on at New Life East that we're heading into this new year and we're certainly entering into new physical space and all sorts of things are changing. Um, Pastor Andrew came to Colin and I and said, hey, I, I feel like we need to call our church to pray through the month of January. And Colin and I were like, we shouldn't pray. That's a bad idea. We were like, no, that's a great idea. We should do that. So one of the things that we're going to invite you all into this year, we're inviting, I'm inviting, this is me inviting you into it right now. I'm asking you to do this. In the fellowship space after service, you'll notice that there are some sheets lined up on a table. What we're asking all of you to step into with us are 24 consecutive days of 24-7 prayer in 2024. I realize there's a lot of 24s there. And that wasn't on purpose, but it worked out. What we're asking you to do is to pick an hour of every day. Maybe for you, it's Mondays at 7 a.m. That's like a sweet spot for you. It's a space where you have an hour that you can carve out of your schedule and you can sit and pray. Maybe you're one of the overzealous people who you can commit to, I'm gonna pray at 5 a.m. every day for 24 days straight. That's beautiful, thank you. For others of you, you're gonna have to pick a spot where it's gonna be a challenge for you, but you're gonna fight for it. What we wanna call all of you into is to joining with us as we pray, not just for the sake of New Life East and the things that are changing and transforming here, but for all of us, for our own lives. So the way that it'll work is you'll go out there, you'll sign up. Pastor Glenn and Vicki Smith, who lead our prayer team, they'll be out there. They're helping orchestrate all of this. Most of this work is theirs. I'm just talking about it. And you'll sign up for a time slot. And the way that it'll work is every night before your day that you're scheduled for, you'll get an email that lets you know how we're all praying that day. And what's beautiful is you're gonna be praying with at least 24 other people that day. They're gonna be devoting their time to it. They're gonna be devoting their lives for an hour a day to sitting with God. And in the midst of sitting with God, they're gonna begin to call out for God to touch our church in a significant way, to touch the lives of the people that you see on the left and the right of you right now in a significant way, and to touch the lives of people who don't even call New Life East home. But because we are on the east side of the city, God has invited us to be a part of that. So I wanna ask you, would you please consider after service, getting a donut and coffee like you always do, stopping by the two sign-up tables out there, ask Glenn and Vicki any questions that you have, but I wanna call, I wanna challenge you. Pick an hour, sign up for it, commit to it. We're gonna start this on, on January 11th, so we're giving you a little bit of space to get into the new year. We're not asking you to start this tomorrow. Sign up for it, it'll start January 11th, and it'll end on our very first Sunday at Rocky Mountain Classical Academy. This is what I'm asking you guys to do this year. Can you imagine what would happen in your life, if just for 24 days, you said every day I'm gonna sit with God for an hour and I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be humble, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna tell the truth about my life, I'm gonna tell the truth about the world and then I'm gonna ask God to intervene. What might our church look like after those 24 days? What might your marriage look like after those 24 days? What might your kids look like? What might your, what might your finances look like? After saying, you know what, God, I'm gonna give you an hour a day 
I'm going to present it all to you. Let's stand this morning as we prepare to come to the table. I want to invite our communion servers to come up front. We remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Because what's beautiful about our God is that he's, it's not enough for him to just be present and hear our prayers, but he's the kind of God who would come to earth in flesh and blood and lay down his life. That same night, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, would you do so in remembrance of me? New Life East, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Would you come forward to receive communion? Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. At the center of it all, Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, and nothing else now.
Jesus be the center of your church. Jesus be the center of your church. Jesus be the center of your church. And every knee will bow. And every tongue shall confess you. Praise Father. 
I'm in. I'm so sorry. I just forgot it, guys. On three. One, two, three. This is good. This is good. This is good. You just show up. You just show up. That's what it is. New Life East, would you open up your hands to receive this benediction this morning? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Thank you guys for being here. So good to see all of you. If you're a guest, we'd love to meet you in Connect Central after this service. Don't forget coffee and donuts and make sure to fill up one of those prayer slots for us. We'll see you next Sunday.